There's nothing that will humble you more than fighting against physical resistance in hopes of expanding yourself. Even if I die, it doesn't matter. Boom! That is oneness, that is meditation, that is integrity, that is unity. Our sense of ourself is so huge that if we try to draw it into this frame, the frame destroys. If you're going through a chaotic or a crisis moment, just know that on the other side of that breakdown, on the other side of that deconstruction, is a brand new you, a stronger version of you. The light is going to rise. The path is there, we just gotta step on it. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind and Poem podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and today we have a special episode with Elliot Hulse. Elliot has built one of the top online coaching businesses, and his social media channels have millions of followers. He started his gym and YouTube channel Strength Camp over a decade ago, and he shared practical wisdom about physical training, emotional development, and becoming the strongest version of yourself. Elliot, I'm so glad that you could come to the show, and I'm very excited for this episode. Well, thank you for the invitation. <laughs> yeah, you built one of the top leading fitness channels on online. And uh, I, I think like a lot of people already know about you, but they still don't know like the entire story of, of what got you started. And uh, yeah, what's the backstory? So can you maybe give us like a brief overview of how you started Strength Camp? Hmm. Well, I started Strength Camp after being a personal trainer in Florida and realizing very early on that I wanted to work for myself. Um, I could even go back a little further. When I was 14 years old, I discovered weight training because my uncle decided to become a personal trainer. That was back in like 1994. Mm -hmm. And so he introduced me to two things. He introduced me to weight training and to entrepreneurship. So it was the first time I ever had known someone that earned a living doing what they love doing. He loved to lift. He's always been an athlete. He was in martial arts. He was a gymnast and he started bodybuilding and then he quit his job as an accountant and said, I'm just going to lift and teach people how to lift. Mm -hmm. And that was his job. I was 14 years old and it changed my life. Um, so when I went on my career path, I pretty much knew that's what I was going to do also too. So I worked for a few years as a, not a few years, actually a few months as a personal trainer when I moved to Florida in 2004 and then decided to venture out on my own because of the advent of the internet. I was able to use Google to get clients without having a commercial gym. And I, all I needed was a place to train them. And I had an old van that my dad handed down to me. So I filled it up with sandbags and tires and trash from around the city. And I would go to the park where I'd meet guys that I would train. And that's how Strength Camp started. Mm, yeah, I really like your story because it kind of shows that if you have enough perseverance and grit, then uh, you can achieve what you set your mind to. And you definitely have shown that you, you kind of built everything from scratch. And although you had your like, good influences in the example of your uncle and, uh, and other influences, but you still kind of grinded it out yourself. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. The path is there. We just got to step on it. Right. Yeah. Take action on it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And uh, I also like to think that uh, one, of the, one of the biggest reasons why people emanate or resonate with you is because of your authenticity and you're very real in the sense of you, you're going to be honest and you're going to tell the straight truth and your videos very well, they showcase that. So that's one of the reasons why I believe like you're constantly trying to evolve yourself as well and to stay congruent to who you are. So that's one of the Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think that's a part of why anyone becomes a, a lifter or an entrepreneur mm -hmm. is because you want as few restraints holding you prisoner from your truth as possible. You want the time, you want the energy, the creativity to do and be everything that is truly you, authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's the purpose of life. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I think like, you, you, you've gone through these several transformations yourself throughout your journey and you actually kind of quit making new videos at, at one point. So was this kind of a, some sort of a realization or why did you make like, this decision? 
Well, I sensed intuitively that there was more to me. There was more to my life than where I was at the moment. And so uh, because things were so good, and this is usually when we get very attached or blinded by our circumstances the most. Mm -hmm. You know, you got people who get attached and blinded by their circumstances when they're bad and they stay stuck in that. And, you know, you can have advice for that. But there's also the corollary, which is to get stuck in and attached to the good. The good can be just as blinding and as imprisoning as the bad, if you will. Mm. So although things on the outside looked perfect and I could have continued down that route and it would have been fine, I'm sure, something on the inside said create some space. I was probably becoming too personally identified with my achievements, too personally identified with the Elliot that became YouTube famous. So I decided to deconstruct break it down, mm. destroy character or ego suicide, <laughs> right? Yeah. What better way than to start with a brand new slate? So uh, it has been just as powerful and interesting a journey to deconstruct myself as it was to get there. And I'm having a good time reconstructing right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good, that's a very important point. Like you said, ego suicide, because the ego is always trying to maintain its current position of dominance in a sense and uh, mm -hmm. it coincides with one of your main messages which is becoming the strongest version of yourself because the person or the potential person who we could become in the future is not the same as we are right now so it's uh, like a constant process of killing the old version of yourself and then evolving to a much greater one so have you had the integrated version i think right. that's really what we're all aiming for you know it's not a matter of higher or better right, right, right. integrated because we're so complex we're so much more than we have been told we are there's so much more to life than the achievement of wealth or getting good grades or having this type of girlfriend or living in this type of house or having people love you all over the world there is an entire internal landscape that can be explored also. There's a tremendous amount. Yeah. So I'm, I'm offering that what we're really trying to do is see ourselves from 360 degrees and get the entire, the entire universe of who we are. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's like nothing is, it's nothing like that something is good or bad or something is better or worse. Yeah, it's an integrated approach. That's a good way of putting it. So that's it, that's not. But have you had like any obstacles or barriers from your own ego that have, you know, impeded this process? Or when you, when you quit making videos, did you have some sort of an uh, ego backlash or how did you manage to overcome it? Oh, that's what life is. It's a constant struggle, struggle between the self and the ego and where there's going to be a compromise, where there can be a give and take. Always. By mere virtue of having flesh, by being incarnated in the physical body, by having the boundaries of our skin, we have an ego. So this whole idea that we're to get rid of the ego or not have an ego or the ego is your enemy is immature. It's not integrated. It's half or partial. Mm -hmm. It's nearsighted. What we're wanting is a ego self-axis where the undifferentiated part of ourselves, the part of ourselves that contains all of the cosmos, can communicate and work with that consolidated um, or, or crystallized, materialized version of ourselves, which is this, mm -hmm. flesh. So the limitations of the flesh are always a boundary, are always a challenge for what is potential, pure potential, right? Yeah. So without getting too deep into it, yeah, my body. My body is a temple for deconstruction in the same way that the ego is deconstructed. So uh, I've torn, I tore both biceps. That's a challenge to the body slash ego. Hmm. Uh, I had a hernia repair that that set me back a little bit. I tore my Achilles tendon. All this in a matter of just a few years. Wow. Yeah. Those are, yeah, like they're, they're kind of like these reminders of to the ego that, yeah, like it's, it's not, there's more to the, there's more to the 
thing or there's there's something that's happening be- between the scenes that we tend to not see we can blind we get blindsided with with our ambitious and uh, the uh, the egos so yeah it's, it's, <laughs> yeah it's, humility yeah. humility and human come from the word root word hume which is humus which is dirt which is the substance from which we come mm-hmm. dust humility means remembering that you're dirt that you're just dust that you're just flesh because someone like myself, and there are many of us out there, and I hope we can all can get to this place, our sense of ourself is so huge that if we try to draw it into this frame, the frame destroys. We destroy the frame. So humility is remembering, oh my God, yes, I am God. I am all of this. I am the universe. But I am constrained by time and boundaries of the flesh. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that uh that i've learned experientially mm-hmm. yeah it's like it's like one of the greatest truths of all time is that i know that i know nothing by socrates and you know many other people so like it is like once you, the more you learn about whether your body or the the universe around you then the more you realize that you actually don't know anything you know mm-hmm. it's a mystery in this sense i'd also like to think like these kinds of transformations um they're very very well they're gonna they're very well brought together by the metaphor of the Ouroboros, you know, the snake biting its own tail. So it's, it's uh, in order to become a greater version of yourself and to achieve their goals or, to, or even to expand your consciousness in a sense, it requires you to devour yourself first. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. it's paradoxical in a sense to, mm-hmm. shed your, to shed your own skin. And I also like to think like the same kind of principle can be found in, in weight training as well. So can you ha- have you found like some, some similarities in uh, like uh, lifting stuff and uh, physical exercise? Well, there's nothing that will humble you more than fighting against physical resistance in hopes of expanding yourself. And that, that's <laughs> what it is when we bodybuild, when we weight lift, you know, we're pushing our physical boundaries against the physical resistance of the world. Mm. So there, it happens on a number of levels. It happens on a mental level, meaning that if we're ever going to achieve more, we have to believe more. We've got to see in our mind's eye that bigger body with the beautiful muscles or see in your mind's eye the uh, the lifting of that 600-pound barbell. I was a professional strongman, and I would see in my mind myself ripping that sled and pulling it or, or dragging that car or flipping that tire. I can, like, even as I'm saying it to you now, I can feel it in me. Mm. It's like it's done before it's even done. Mm. You've got to have the blueprint before you have the building. So, yeah. Yeah. Does it, does it coincide with one of these uh, four layers of strength that you've talked about on your channel? Oh, absolutely. Well, if we're looking for a systematic approach for expansion or, or integration, because, you know, I, I need to come back to my own language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Integration. We have to look f- from 360 degrees. We have to look at from multiple different angles. If I'm to become a weightlifter, very strong and very powerful and very muscular, yes, lifting weights is very obvious to the eye what's going on there, right? That's just one layer of the approach. This guy, he's, he's, he's picking something up and putting it down. But as I mentioned before, there is a layer beyond that layer, which is the blueprint of the mind. Hmm. What is that man thinking to even approach those weights? What is that man looking to achieve? What sense does he have of himself in a more evolved or more expanded way? What's mm. going on in that guy's head? That's a layer of strength also. I'm going out of order here, though. Yeah. Physiological strength is another one also, too. And as a bodybuilder or a weightlifter, it doesn't go very far beyond the food that you eat or the rest that you get or how much sunshine you're getting, or the type of stress in your life. You see what I'm saying? All physiological. It doesn't happen in the gym. It's not very physical per se, because you're not lifting, lifting a fork. It's the chemical reactions. It's Mm. the hormones. It's what's going on inside. That's a layer of strength. And then one that ties it all together in, in many ways. They all tie one another together. That's why they're layers. But 
I refer to as energetic strength. And energetic strength is so mysterious because it is both spiritual, mental, and physical. The beautiful thing about spirit, mind, and body is that there is a thread. There's a very physical thread that ties through them, and that is our emotion. Mind, mental state will affect emotion. Emotion is very physical. That's why it's called emotion, energy in motion. It's physical. You can see the emotion in someone's eyes. You can feel the tension in your own chest. You see? And then spirit is, well, the word pneuma, uh, the word spirit comes from breath. Hmm. God, in, in the Old Testament, God breathed into the dust. So I said we were dust before, but we're dust and breath. We're dust, we're material, we're matter, and we're breath, we're pattern, we're the undifferentiated. And so when we breathe, and that's what uh, much of energetic strength is, uh, is about, when we're breathing, when we're conscious of our breathing, when we use our breathing as a tool for self-expression or for healing, we are exercising that thread that ties our spirit, our mind, and our body together. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's powerful indeed. And uh, it's, it shows that the physiology and psychology are indeed so intertwined with each other and the human mind is so powerful in the sense. And mm -hmm. it's, it's one thing. We're yeah. one thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. it's something like you say, like your body is your mind. Exactly. Mm -hmm. mm. And uh, I think like that's one of the reasons why your videos have become so popular as well, because you're not just some guy who is lifting stones and doing PR deadlifts and screaming, but you also integrate this uh, yeah, different kinds of uh, breathing exercises and uh, bioenergetic exercises as well. So what kind of, what kind of bioenergetic exercises do you do every day? Well, meditation. But when I refer to meditation, it's not the way most people think. It's very active. So when one meditates, they think mostly in terms of quieting the mind. But as you alluded to before, and you use my phrase, the body is the mind. If we're wanting to quiet the mind, it is a very grounded approach to go through the body. And going through the body is very physical. The muscular system, what are you doing with your body? What sensations are you noticing in your body? What are you doing with your body in a moment in order to bring it in coherence with the thread of breath? And as the body and the breath are in coherence, the mind has, the, has a much easier pathway to follow. Hmm. You see, so if the body is, is, is tense mm -hmm. and your breathing is stifled, your mind is going to race. It's going to be ungrounded. So whatever thoughts, you, whatever you're trying to do up there, it is not embodied. It doesn't exist here with us. It's abstract. Mm. But the minute I go into an active meditation, one of which I really enjoy, and I'll do here while I'm sitting, which is scooping where I couple my breathing, my inhalation with the movement of the arms up, and an exhalation where I move the arms down, as I'm doing it now, I'm getting chills because I just brought myself into unity, into unison, into integration, even though my mind was elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So by, by having the sensation of movement in my body just muscularly through the breath and the movement, I stimulate an energetic response in my body, a tie response. That's why I felt the chills. Mm. I, there are no exercise to get chills. You get chills when there is a sensation, when there's a, a slight emotion. And that, for me, then when I just did that, those chills was the emotion of calmness. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's like the... Uh the state of being aware and being present and putting yourself into this kind of a flow state where you're, you know what you need to do and uh, you, you know where you are in time and space. And also you have like the willingness to uh, 
uh, either, you know, take action or to either rest and recall and those kinds of things. And they can be achieved by doing anything like being in a meditative state doesn't require you to sit down and, and uh, say, um, <laughs> for 20 minutes in a row, you can do a meditation, but like you said, in just simply focusing on your breath and mm-hmm. a cup of coffee and mm-hmm. integration. Yeah. Bringing all parts of ourselves together. That's really what it is. It's taking our divergent thoughts and our anxious body and bringing them into one thing. That's even what the term yoga means. Yoga is a, is a meditation. Yoga is yoking or bringing together mind, body, and thoughts, spirit. It's unifying us. When we are in a flow state, we are in an integrated state. And we can practice that every day. Yeah. And there's, then there's less resistance as well. You're, you're not fighting anything. You're simply flowing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what about this kind of, what, what about, about these uh, dynamic meditations where you're shaking and screaming and things like that? What, what, let's talk mm-hmm. about those. Well, dynamic meditation is actually a term coined by Osho, who is an Indian mystic who became very popular in the 70s for his radical ways of thinking and sharing. And uh, if you can think in terms of like uh, spiritual gurus, he's like the bad boy. <laughs> and yeah, he was willing to talk about anything and he was willing to push the boundaries. Right. Uh, and one of the ways he pushed the boundaries is, was with introducing a very physical oriented meditation. Physical oriented meditations are nothing new, especially in the East. Hmm. Tai Chi, Qigong, uh, yoga been there for thousands of years bringing it to the west was kind of a brand new thing and the way he offered it to westerners was very specific to what was needed for the western mind because the western in the west we have we're much more tense much more thought oriented much just a different order of being in in many different ways so having a using Buddha's 4,000-year-old method of sitting under a Bodhi tree for a stressed-out executive who's trying to make million-dollar deals (laughs) ain't going to work so easy. He's got a lot more tension than Siddhartha did when he was walking through the gardens. Right. Big difference. And even the attitude in, say, India, for example, like, they're not that ambitious, per se. Like, it's they're not striving to get BMWs. They don't have the same tension and aggression and anxiety that most of us have in the West. So what Osho discovered was that by helping people rid themselves of their physical anxiety first, dumping out all of the anxiety. And one of the easiest ways to dump out the anxiety or the stress is by exhausting yourself. Right? Even all like after a workout, you just feel like, oh, man, like I'm heavy and relaxed. Like I could just sit here and enjoy the next few minutes and not move. At the end of a workout, you know, sometimes you just lay on the floor and you don't want to move because it, all that physical exertion released a lot of pent up energy. So Osho active medita- dynamic meditation in particular follows a sequence of exercise that are that were actually that are very scientific they're not arbitrary and if you study the work of Wilhelm Reich you'll find that uh, what he describes as the orgastic wave is being implemented here and that means that we there is a phase of charging the body and he called it your orgastic wave because it's very similar to the orgasm in sex there is foreplay you know there's there's charging there's getting getting charged up then there is a rising to climax, boom. And then there is a sinking, a grounding effect. So dynamic meditation follows these stages. The very first stage is charging the body with deep chaotic breathing, getting you worked up. A lot of times people who are depressed, it goes both ways. A lot of times when we're depressed, it's because our energy is way too low because we're breathing shallowly. So when you implement deep breathing exercises that transcend the mind's ability to get into patterns, ruts, meaning like chaotic, meaning like avant-garde, uh, how, how you say just wild, mm-hmm. wild breathing, 
the head can't keep up. The ego has to go somewhere else because you're being completely ridiculous. You're being completely out of sorts, out of order, out of line, out of ego. So this breathing is, is designed to do that, to yeah. shake you up, get you out of your rut and charge the body. Following this charging phase, there is an explosion, a climax stage. So you get the body very charged up and then there is a moment where you can release. Mm -hmm. And in this release, you're encouraged to shout, to pound your chest, to cry, to laugh, to whatever it is that your body, and this is, you know, we're hoping that we start to become sensitive enough to our bodies, that we know what our body's asking us to express, and that we can get the ego out of, of the way enough just to let it express itself mm. objectively, not getting caught up. I'm crying, and that means that something's wrong. No, you're crying because your body has been holding these tears back since you were a six-year-old and your dad slapped you. Right. <laughs> now you've yeah. been walking around with all this anxiety and, and your body has been wanting to release this. It's okay. It doesn't need to be analyzed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the emotional turmoil and uh, the different kinds of anxieties, they build up in your body. And we don't have this sort of a valve that's going to release it and, you know, in our early life. And it's going to accumulate on, on top of each other. So it's definitely something I believe like every person, <laughs> if every person has these kinds of things hidden in the subconscious mind and no one is, you know, even the, even the bare fact of existence itself creates this anxiety in your in your in your subconscious mind so definitely mm -hmm. something i would i would look into further for everyone else as well you're expressing have you experienced these kinds of similar uh, meditative states or active active meditations during like lifting weights or something yes interestingly enough because as a football player I was the guy on kickoff, you know, American football, you got to kick off the ball and, you know, you run down and the guys meet each other. I was the guy that was the first one to get down there. That was my job. I was the wedge breaker. Mm. And the wedge breaker's job is to take his body and pummel into a, a couple of 400, uh, 300 pound guys, 250 to 300 pound guys. Destroy the wedge. Just, you, you literally are a kamikaze. Think about a kamikaze pilot. They are so focused. They are so one with their body and what they're about to do. They're beyond just mentally knowing that I'm about to drive this airplane into this other building or uh, run my body into these men is the transcendent thought, the spiritual thought that allows you to be, to even go beyond it. Meaning like, even if I die, it doesn't matter. Boom. Right. That is oneness. That is meditation. That is integrity. That is unity. So I just, by virtue of being Elliot Hulse, kind of had that in me. Mm -hmm. So I was that football player, and, and I was self-destructive as a kamikaze player, but I win, mm -hmm. and I destroy people. <laughs> and I did that all through high school and college, and I did it in Strongman. When I got to Strongman, I wasn't destroying other people. I used my body as the weapon to fight resistance like thousand pound tires and like sleds like i was telling you about i would turn my brain off i have no thought of myself no thought of my body no resistance nothing getting in the way i'm just moving this hunk of weight hmm. you see so i did reach meditative states that's what they call when an athlete's in the zone what i have experienced through through my experiences, having gained a, a tremendous amount of humility in these past five years or so because my body began to break down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't keep running your head into people and expect not to have concussions. In the same way, I couldn't expect to continue treating my body like a bulldozer. Hmm. You know, driven by someone who just doesn't care. There's an insurance policy, so I'm just going to run this bulldozer into anything and beat the shit out of it, and uh, and not start to um, feel the effects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For me now. Yeah, you you can you can kind of grind yourself 
short term, but long term is gonna it's gonna catch up, and uh, you, everyone has to pay their debts in this sense. And mm-hmm. and there's there's nothing more humiliating or humbling than uh, having to face these kind of situations where you're you're nearing burnout, or in a sense, or you're, or you're failing, or you experience failure. So those kind of those are the mo- biggest opportunities for growth and self reflection, I, I think, as well. Yeah. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, I was thinking about a quote that he said this morning, and he he goes on to say that as we age, the beauty steals inward. So when you're young, you're beautiful. But as you get older, the beauty doesn't go away. It steals inward. And I was thinking about strength and how when we're when we're young, 25, 29, the strength is very surface, very out there. But as we age, the strength steals inward. And so what we get to do, well, for me, it's a number of things, is to recognize various spiritual and mental challenges that may be worth taking up, like quitting YouTube videos, you know, various things I subjected myself to feel emotional battery. I beat myself up emotionally. Also, too, with the type of training I do now, it's not so surface, meaning I'm not ejaculating all over the place. I'm not jizzing on the camera, exploding for people. Someone commented today, because I've been watching my most recent workout videos, like, they want to know, like, where is the exciting Elliot? (laughs) That has steeled inwards. And I can temper it now in such a way that with bodybuilding, I just, it's much slower and more focused and much more grounded, Hmm. if you will. More integrated. More integrated. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it's kind of of goes back that the the best or the best balance is, is, is to kind of try to establish this kind of a balance between being taking action and grinding and then risk recovering and restorative side as well and mm-hmm. you you talk you definitely talked a lot about this in your videos like the yin and yang symbol in taoism as well like the the yang being the warrior and taking action part and the yin being the feminine where you're allowing your body to recover so nurturing yeah mm-hmm. how does how does this kind of polarity get expressed in different areas of your life Oh, well, you can look at my life in terms of a macrocosm. And in fact, you can look at all men, all of us uh, in this particular way I'm going to describe right now is actually uh, shared first by Robert Moore. My experience has shown me this, but Robert Moore described this in one of his lectures uh, where he says that if you're familiar with Robert Moore. He is a neo-Jungian psychologist. So he no longer lives. He's no longer alive. Um, but he, what he did was he broke down Jung's collective unconscious, undifferentiated unconscious, into a consolidated four-part quadration of the, of the psyche, mm-hmm. particularly the male psyche. And we have our king, our sovereign. We have our lover, our warrior, and our wizard. King, warrior, magician, lover. Four parts. If you look at uh, uh, like personality types, you know, thinkers, feelers, beers, and doers, there, it's there. This is very well studied. So king, warrior, magician, lover. Now, with those four parts of an integrated self, there are seasons for each. Hmm. And so for a young man, he's a fucking warrior. Once you start growing hair on your nuts and testosterone is driving, you are, you are in warrior state. You are hot. You are there. You pick up your sword. You see? Right. That's normal and natural and is a part of the way. So from ages, say, 14 through 34, 12 through 36, a man is in his warrior stage and a woman is in her lover stage. This is the phase where women are usually having children. They're looking for a mate. Uh, I have a daughter, three daughters. And my daughter who's going into teenagehood, it's, she's giggly about boys and, you know, even crushes on like internet boys and stuff like that. That's where girls are. They're very receptive. They're very lovers in that, t- in that time frame where boys are like, I want to go, I want to play football and break and smash heads. I want to lift and be big. You see? But 
at about 36, at about middle age, there is a swap that happens. And it's interesting because I've been dating my wife since I was 14 years old. So hmm. uh, I've watched it in me and her, this swap, wow. where I went from warrior phase into lover phase. And I can talk a lot about that because it's probably a very confusing thing for most young men to even hear or consider. What is that? <laughs> and then my wife, she's a freaking warrior. She, I call her the commander in the house right now. <laughs> and she crossed over into her warrior stage as a, you know, approaching middle age. Mm. Yeah, like th those kinds of traits of masculinity and femininity they're in both of the male and the female psyche as well and uh, they're they're part of that so but why do you think like this kind of a switch happens in their middle life period well for men it's an, it's it's very interesting that when when you're a young man you're out there doing physical labor you should be that's what your body is is primed for you're out there cutting it down, chopping it up, stabbing them down, doing it. But in the same way that I said that the beauty or the strength steals inward at a certain age, at a certain point, the strength doesn't go anywhere. It, or doesn't disappear. It steals inward for very, very, very good reason. Because nature knows that at some point, this body is going to die. Hmm. And in order to preserve the species, all of the wisdom and all of the strength, all of the empowerment that's available to that man when he's young steals inward for the main purpose of serving, empowering, mirroring young men. Mm, wow. That's when you become a mentor, an elder. That's when you become a real coach, is when you can look at young men, remember yourself there and mirror them, empower them. Let them know that you're not a, here's the thing what typically happens in our society because we don't honor elders, we don't honor the, 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 the process, the evolutionary process, particularly in men. Men become a certain age and then they, they, the, the beauty or the strength is stealing inward, but they resist. So the ego will do everything that it can to continue to pretend and be like, to be like what you were when you were 24. What that does is it not only sets up a situation where the evolutionary process is perverted, and you've got middle-aged men think, thinking and behaving and acting like they're young, which is ugly, mm -hmm. but now they're competing with young men, and there's no one, for, there's no one to nurture the strength and ego in young men, because young men are competing with old men, old men are competing with young men, there are no elders, and everybody suffers. Right. Wow. Yeah, there's definitely so many evolutionary drives <laughs> as well. And it's funny how... When our testosterone drops, it's because it's supposed to, yeah. because it's rising behind us in the younger generation. I can't love you the same way if I have the same amount of testosterone. I want to fight you. I want to compete against you if, I if I'm still the same way as I was 24 when you're 24. Mm. But because my testosterone, I, and I haven't got it tested, so I don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. But I've evolved. I've changed. There's a lot more oxytocin flowing through these veins right now. I have so much more lover in me that I can look at and love young men in a way that empowers and strengthens the strength that's within them without feeling diminished by their physical power. Hmm. Yeah, I think that, that that's something that needs to be heard. It needs to be more heard in, uh, in the development of young men, even especially in today's society. And uh, masculinity is also like going through a small crisis in a sense of what it actually, what it means to be a man, and what's masculinity, and what's the role of uh, of, of men in the future, especially like if you're going through these different kinds of gender politics and stuff like that. So, what is what's what's like the general advice you would give to a young man who is, you know, facing some sort of a crisis in their life at the moment? Well, 
crisis is normal, natural, and should be expected. And I would say be completely grateful for the crisis as it's showing itself to you. Because it means, as we said before, that there probably is a part of you that needs to die. There is probably an ego construct that's no longer serving you. You're probably still worshiping a God that is no longer available. It's like still, mm. still wanting to be an old version of yourself is like still believing in Santa Claus. <laughs> right? That old, that doesn't serve you anymore. And what happens is these tactics and techniques that we use in order to get along in society, sit down and shut up and be a good student or do as you're told, we start to explore those. You start to resist those. We start to question those things. And they're hard to swallow because the world around us is constructed in such a way and we have been playing in such a way that for me to change means there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be chaos Hmm. in my world. So for example, when I decided to take a step down from YouTube, I knew there was going to be backlash. There are people going to be very upset. That's the hardest thing. If you're going through a chaotic or a crisis moment, just know that on the other side of that breakdown, on the other side of that deconstruction is a brand new you, a stronger version of you. The light is going to rise. Hmm. And with that hope, with that understanding, with that truth laid in front of you, the only thing that you can embody is anticipation for what's next. Man, the world is good. Life is good. You're evolving. <laughs> yeah, I think there is, there is this problem that masculinity is portrayed as something toxic and something, uh, something to frown upon just because, of the, just because of the aspect of being more violent and being, having this testosterone running through my veins. The problem is that it's part of the nature of being a man <laughs> and you, you don't want to suppress it as well either. You, if you are a young man, then you need to express yourself. You need to go out and lift stuff and uh, procreate in a sense almost and to kind of mm-hmm. get that valve it, to incorporate, integrate that kind of active meditation into your uh, future involvement as well. And at the same time, not get attached to that kind of identity of being the hustler or, or being a, a quote unquote like a manly man and to actually acknowledge that you need to evolve. So that's something I believe is very, also very, like, very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. The manliest man, or what I refer to as a king, is sovereign over himself. Mm. And that means full authenticity, meaning I am just being me 100% without any apology. That's what, that's what men are here for. We're not here to live up to a pattern that has been shoved down our throats that is very profitable to the corporations and government. They want us to be taxpayers and soldiers, mercenaries in wars that we don't, that don't belong to us. Mm. That's what they've designed this system for. So they can give us a helmet and a gun and go kill, kill people that, that would otherwise be no harm to us. Our brothers, that's what we're doing. Or to be a tax slave. Mm. That's what it is. When you can break out of that, you have the world, you have the un- carved path you have unlimited potential for what spirit wants to express through you Hmm. in a way that's never been done before ever your unique divine masculine blueprint is what's wanting to emerge rise it's indeed i've been like in the in the military for instance and stuff like that and there is like there you have to be your ego or your your personal identity is being suppressed so much that uh you you have to kind of you adopt this kind of a different perspective on the world that is yeah kind of confining and it's you know shut your mouth and do what you're told and that's kind of that can carry over to a lot of people in there you know those kinds of influences can happen in school in parenting as well and in dating and stuff like that, those kinds of stuff get built up in, in the psyche of the young individual. And uh, yeah, yeah there's, there isn't something that is going to express it or to allow it to explode or to cure those kinds of stuff. So that these kind of, we, we lack kind of like these rites of passage that we had in the past where the shamans would, where, where young men would go through these initiation processes of actually becoming men and becoming more independent. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so my brother, 
My younger brother was very involved with Native American spirituality. And one of the process of initiation that he went through was Native American sun dancing and vision quest. And when I look at his experience, and he and I still talk about it today, he was still in college when he did it, it was incredible. But after years of, of he and I being together, living our lives, and then studying initiation processes, studying what our ancestors knew, there were two critical components. Now, initiation is, is, is multidimensional, but there are two components, very two simple components that we can begin to start implementing now to bring initiation to ourselves and to one another as men. And it goes like this. Number one, separation from the world of the mother. When a young man was becoming a young man, the elders knew, get him out of here. Immediately separate him from the tribe. Right. He's starting to act up. He's starting to be like, he's starting to feel himself. He's starting to get a little hot. They whisked him away. There's one story, uh, I believe, in Iron John where he talks about how when the older men recognize this in, say, a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy, they would wait for the right moment. Now, mind you, the men... The older men and the older women, the women, the mothers, they, they're all in on the same thing because women understood this too. Women weren't, weren't so attached, attached to their baby boys. They understood that these baby boys are going to grow up into be men and there needs to be this process. So the men would get together and they would recognize, okay, he's starting to feel himself. Let's get ready, guys. <laughs> and they would put on masks. They would dress up. And they would storm into the hut where the little boy is there with his mom and they'd grab him. And I say little boy, but you know, a teenager, grab him and take him away. And the mother, the, the women would play along. Oh, oh, don't take him away. Don't take him away. This is separation from all that the mother represents. Society, everything that society is about. You got to get out of it. You got to separate yourself from society, from civilization, from manners and chivalry and all that bullshit. You got to get away. Separation from the mother, separation from matter. And then the other one, the second part, which you started to allude to just a little bit, is atonement with the father. Getting in tune with, atonement sounds a lot like tune, the father. But in the same way that the mother is representative of the world of matter and civilization, father is also representative of the world of pattern. The word father comes from the word paternity, father, pattern. Hmm. And so what it really is about when the men take the boy away is to, number one, give this young man space to uncover his own pattern. So with my brother, when he went away with the Native Americans, he went on a vision quest. So, of course, he was separate from society. I mean, they threw him out. He was out there. He was gone. He was up in uh, somewhere in Canada. And it was like... Very wilderness. And so a part of the process was they took him up to like the top of some mountain, some hill, and they drew a square. There was a rock in that square, and he was not to move from that square. He's not to leave that square. He was to sit on that, ch on that um, rock for days. I don't remember how many days it was. It may, it may have been like two or three days, maybe even longer. I got to ask him. Painful until all of the mental and emotional bullshit is purged and you start having visions. That's what the man is wanting. That's what we're wanting our men to open up to. Not a mission given by the government, not to become a tax slave, but to have a vision for what you're here for. And oftentimes in those visions would be animals and animals are symbolic, what it represents to you. So I remember my brother said he saw a bear. Right. You know, and, his, and, and you might even, nature is, in, nature is in cahoots with us. Nature wants us to evolve. So nature will even show us omens. I don't know if he thought he saw a bear or he, he hadn't eaten in like three or four days and he's dehydrated and hot. So you may have actually seen a bear or there was a vision of a bear. The whole point is that by separating from society, 
separating from the mother, and then even separating from the flesh. That's what fasting is, is separating from the flesh. That's why fasting is a spiritual thing also too, because it is like, it's like separation from the mother. Mm. Mother, mother comes from the word matter. It's separating from the flesh for a moment so that the spirit can speak to us. Now what you have is a young man who's no longer addicted to the world of mother and who is atoned or in tune with the world of spirit, of archetype, Mm -hmm. of his own sovereignty wow. yeah it, it's, it's it's powerful in a sense that uh indeed uh, I, i like that you mentioned fasting because fasting it's it's the ultimate act of self-devouring and uh <laughs> evolvement in a sense that you leave behind the old literally you're gonna devour your own cells dead cells mm -hmm. and you're gonna use that you know grow new new cells through like activating stem cells and stuff like that and uh yeah like Bruce Lee has also a quote like empty your cup so that it may be filled become devoid so you could achieve totality in a sense that you have to first let go of the addiction and then you can achieve full attainment and uh, and atonement in a sense and what you mm -hmm. described what you described as well is was also is called like the hero journey by Joseph Campbell of this mm -hmm. process of this adventure going going into the chaos facing the unknown challenges leaving behind your home and then coming back as a more evolved and more integrated version of yourself. So that's very... It's what our entire conversation has been about from yeah. the beginning. Ego deconstruction and reconstruction. Like the phoenix, burning up and dying to yourself and being reborn. Yeah. Born again. Yeah, man. And, it's, and we're starting to wake up to that truth once again. The patterns of our lives. And so male initiation will is making a comeback. And of course, it's appropriate at various stages when you are going from childhood into adulthood, say, you know, teenagers, you know, teenage years. Yes, it's appropriate that you die, that you die completely to an old version of yourself and be reborn. And the older men knew this. The elders knew this. So when they see that boy, they even say to themselves, all right, we're about to destroy his ego. That's what ripping you out from your mother and having that trauma is all about. Yeah. They don't see it coming. And then the opportunity to be reborn. Now that is very romantic. And I would say most people see it as very appropriate and would make sense and would heal a lot of the ills of, uh, of masculinity in the world today. If mm. we started at that age. But also too, We've been fed some bullshit about longevity and age and how long we're supposed to be here and what's supposed to look like throughout these stages. But it doesn't happen only once. At mid-30s, 40s-ish, there's going to be another hero's journey, another ego deconstruction, another breakdown and buildup. It's inevitable, it's normal, it's natural, and should be honored as such. We, we have been fed the bullshit, and the thing, the thing, Kanye West the other day said that 400 years of slavery was a choice. He's fucking right, because we still choose to repeat the old bullshit that has caused us to be mentally enslaved. It's a mental enslavement, it's a spiritual enslavement. And it keeps us individually and collectively small. And one thing that we've been fed that keeps us all small as men is that middle-aged men have a crisis and it's looked upon as like weak or silly no my friend that is the most powerful evolutionary moment that a man will go through because now he knows what it feels like to be a man but to to be a boy to be a man but now a man in his wisdom hmm. When the initiation process and the awareness that when a man becomes his middle age, he's about to integrate all of himself. Not just his warrior. When we go from boy into manhood, it's because this child doesn't know how to handle this sword. But when we go from warrior into lover or from young man into middle man, We're integrating something much deeper and more profound, more subtle. Hmm. And that is the heart. That is the lover aspect.
That is what gives us men that lead. Mm. Men that lead aren't the ones with the swords. They're the ones with the hearts because they love the men with the swords because they know what it's like to be one. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah, I understand. Definitely. It's a matter of like what kind of narratives and what kind of stories are being told by the society about certain positions and certain like, yeah, men going through crisis or t masculinity in general. Like it, we lack some sort of a greater meaning or we lack a congruent or integrated story about what, what it means to go through these kind of cycles. And, you know, like we have to kind of, as a society, we have to reconstruct or reconceptualize these things on a on a much larger scheme larger scheme and to actually integrate make it more holistic and integrative so mm -hmm. our ancestors knew that so i left out a piece of that puzzle when it comes to creating the space so that we can have atonement with the father the second thing that the men did with the young men besides giving them room to explore themselves was tell them stories give them the mythology mm. of the people and that's exactly what you're saying now we need to be told more resourceful stories. The stories we've been told are no longer serving us. They're only serving the tax collectors, the elites, the oligarchy, those who want to keep us small and in prison. We got to go back to the stories of our ancestors that are not logical. That's the other thing that we've been told and that we've been lied to about is that the world is just black and white, angular and logical. These stories don't feed the intellect, they feed the soul. They're true stories in a psychological, emotional sense. So we do, as you say, and we are, as I believe, coming back to, I mean, look at Jordan Peterson. I haven't seen or listened to any of his lectures, but I know what he's about and I pump my fist for him because I'm like, <laughs> yes, those yeah. stories should come back. Those archetypes, those myths. The Bible is full of myths. It's, a big, it's the biggest sin for religious people and scientific people to reject, to believe the Bible. Hmm. When religious people attach to the Bible and believe it's literal, they're assholes because they lose all of the meaning of the myth behind it. The true meaning isn't that Jesus physically walked on water. Yeah. It's that he treads the unconscious. And as a, someone who doesn't partake, atheist per se, it is completely against your best judgment and your best life to ignore those stories. Those stories contain gems. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about the Bible. I'm talking about all the Bhagavad Gita. I'm talking about all the myths, all of the stories our ancestors told in all indigenous people throughout the entire world. The, the heroes and the knights of the round table. You know, they're, they're European stories, African stories, Native American stories. Yeah. Those, true. Every, every, yeah, like exactly. Like the reason why Jordan Peterson has be, become so popular is that he's kind of giving rebirth to these kinds of myths and stories from the lens of uh, like pop, pop narratives and culture as well. He makes every, everyone can resonate with him because they're kind of embedded in the subconscious minds of the human psyche already. <laughs> so everyone can recognize them and, you know, like they're starting to realize how big of an impact they actually have. But uh, can people like learn something uh, along the lines of a personal mentorship or some sort of workshops from you with these kinds of topics? Well, it is in me to coach and to serve and to mentor. And it's what I've done since I was, a personal trainer in my first year out of college, even when I was in college, when I was in high school, I was training my buddies in the gym. Mm. And so becoming the strongest version of ourselves is a very physical thing, but it's also a very metaphysical thing. And what we're discussing and what we're knowing now is that there's an integration happening and there's an evolution unfolding for men in our global society. We're no longer tribes. Yeah. And so, of course, I've had strength camp. And I still have strength camp, and strength camp is growing. But also, too, there is a deep need and want for soul camp, for grounding camp, for developing the masculine pattern as it has been lost through developing it through eldership, through process through initiation process and the right 
mythology, the right stories, the right conversations in our head. And that's what I hope to do. I have an event coming up in June called Grounding Man. And it has taken on many different evolutions. It was once Grounding Camp. And I may do Grounding Camp again, but Grounding Man is spawned out of my deep desire to mentor and to serve and to love young men, and to see them in their strength. And the zeitgeist is right. It's what's wanted. We know it at a deep primordial level, like you said with Jordan Peterson. People just know because it's in the, it's in the unconscious that this is what's needed. I'm hoping to bring that about. Hmm. Where is it and when can people, you know, sign up for it? Well, this first one will be June 8th through 10th in upstate New York. And you can go to groundingman.com if you're wanting to know more about it. Um, but also, too, you ought to know, Seem, that I'm coming to Europe. Hmm. And I will be, I'm not facilitating a grounding man, but I'm going to have a bioenergetic grounding camp type event with uh, two of my good friends and teachers. Uh, we'll probably be doing, well, we'll be doing it in Amsterdam. And it is another one of these opportunities to, like a vision quest, separate yourself from society for a moment and open yourself up to something new. Hmm. Yeah, I saw something along the yeah, a sort of notification that you're going to have like in November or somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to plan on... Uh, yeah, I'm going to try to come with this one. But yeah, we've been talking quite a while and definitely you, a ton of knowledge and wisdom coming out of your mouth. And we could talk for hours on these topics, but we're going to start wrapping this show up as well. And uh, like, let's go through a few of the basic easier questions as well. Like what kind of training do you do at the moment? on a daily basis and what do you eat as well? Right now I'm bodybuilding, mm. bodybuilding. <laughs> and it's taken some time for me to, to really want to embrace bodybuilding because I've been such a brute for so long. All I've wanted to do is smash heads and tear shit up where bodybuilding is a bit more conscious in its approach a bit more methodical in its approach. I've never really been much of the methodical type. I'm pretty spontaneous, intuitive. But with bodybuilding, it's giving me the challenge of uh, building my body in a very refined way. And so, of course, uh, exercise programming and execution of, of training, I'm very mindful of. And then also with regard to diet, I've known myself long enough that eating the typical bodybuilding diet of 40 to 60% carbohydrates at various times does not work for me. It never has. My insulin goes up and I get fat and foggy. So uh, I was drawn to your book because I knew that a cyclical ketogenic approach would just fit me most naturally. And I'm getting huge. I'm building muscle. I'm just not getting as puffy as I was when I was a strong man because I cycle my carbohydrates and I'm much more mindful and methodical about when and how I spike my insulin. So a good percentage of my week, I'm eating higher fat diets. Mm -hmm. You know, 80%, 80, 70% fat, 10, 20%, 20, 20% uh, protein, but then carbs are like 10%, mm. mostly from vegetables and stuff. But then like every third day or when I'm just feeling it or um, just feeling flat, I'll just, I'll, I'll spike it up there with some uh, granola bars and bananas and uh, white rice. So, you know, things of that nature just to get that pump, get that get that there's something medicinal about that also too you know being in that that flat state or that ketogenic state or just low carb state is great it's it's medicinal but then there's also something about getting that burst yeah. of uh, insulin and, and glycogen that uh, does wonders for my body and mind I enjoy. Mm. definitely <laughs> and it's a, the, this kind of cyclical approach is symbolic of this kind of anabolism and catabolism as well of cycling back and forth between growing and and contraction so definitely <laughs> even in, in even in our body's physiology these kinds of patterns get manifested it's kind of funny yeah yeah 
Uh, what I'm going to ask my last bit of question as well is, uh, yeah. what would be this sort of a one piece of advice or a habit or a practice uh, that, that you wish you'd adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? I don't. I don't because I honor every stage of the journey and every version of Elliot Hulse. And even if I can, even if at times I've looked back with regret or remorse for things I've said or done or ways of being, I recognize the power in, in those quote unquote mistakes so that I can gain the wisdom of not just remedying those problems or doing them better, but also the humility with coming, with knowing that I'm fallen, I'm sinful, I make mistakes. I learn from those mistakes, but the power of knowing that I am, that the, hum the humility associated with knowing that I'm going to make, I have made mistakes and I will continue to make mistakes just keeps me grounded in my hu humanity. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't, I have no regrets, I have no remorse. And I wouldn't, if I saw Elliot Hulse, Five years ago, or ten years ago, or twenty years ago, I would just—I'd look at him. I'd say, "Just keep doing what you're doing. You'll be all right. You'll be just fine. Don't worry about it. You'll be all right." And if he was fearful and he asked Elliot, "Now, well, am I going to make any mistakes? Am I going to fuck up? Am I going to have any injuries? Am I going to have regrets, remorse?" I'm going to say, "Yup. <laughs> fuck yeah, you are. You're going to make all kinds of stupid mistakes. I am not going to warn you against those. You must have those." So it's self-acceptance in a sense. Ah, yes. Mm, nice. Uh, but at the same time, being open to change and not getting attached to self-acceptance because self-acceptance can also be a form of ego attachment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you used the right term the first time, self-acceptance. And when I say self, I use it with a Jungian capital S, meaning the dynamic, undifferentiated, pure potential self that's always available to us. Ego is a construct. Constructs break and die. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's been an amazing talking to you and definitely like so much wisdom coming out of your mouth and uh, definitely looking forward to your future work and excited for, for, the, for, the, for, the, like, for the impact you're going to have on the world as well. And I'm definitely, I'm going to keep learning from you as well in the future. So where can people learn more about you and your work? Ah, just Google Elliot Hulse. Whatever pops up, start there. <laughs> yeah, go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Elliot, and uh, we'll definitely would love to keep in touch in the future as well. Sure. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. I enjoyed myself. Never get personally identified with the things you have. Become personally identified with the person you're becoming, with your character, with who you are. Explore. Have lots of experiences. Have lots of failures. They all contribute to you becoming the strongest version of yourself. Give everything you have, leave nothing on the table, but when it's done, it's done. Do all that you can this day and be done with it. Tomorrow, start fresh, done. That's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Power podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on the iTunes or the other social media platforms. Definitely check out the show notes for the topics that we discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered. In the morning, the sun rises this way. And, I put, and that's usually where I make my videos. But it's too early, so the sun comes right in. Nice. Burns my retina. Yeah. You, you got to adjust, adjust the circadian rhythm, in a sense. Yeah, I got to adjust the camera. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs>